0: This podcast is intended for an adult audience. Please be aware that some of the content discussed may be triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Reach Out, the podcast, where we are dedicated to ending sexual violence through advocacy, counseling, education, and more. This is the official podcast of Reach Counseling, located in Northeast Wisconsin. You will learn more about the services we provide and hear from members of our team, sexual assault survivors, and the people who support them. We are so glad you're joining us today and would love to connect with you further. You can find out more about us by going to ReachCounseling.com. The interview portion of this episode was recorded in May of 2023. Please keep this in mind when dates and timelines are referenced. We have arrived at the final episode of this pilot season of Reach Out, the podcast. I know I have learned a lot and I hope you have too. This last episode features an interview with Mi Zhang, Asian Outreach and Victim Advocate at Reach Counseling. Mi shares about her experience growing up and why she finds great purpose in the advocacy work that she does. She also talks about her involvement with the Southeast Asian Dance Program. Last, but certainly not least, here is episode 15. Thank you for being here today.
1: Yes, thank you, Jessica, for doing this uh, with REACH and with me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit about how you came to be involved with REACH.
1: Yeah, so before this, I was actually working as a lead teacher, um, and then I was also working with children with uh, autism. However, um, I was also looking to work in um, a place that's a bit more flexible for me Mm -hmm. uh, going forward. And so I found a role here at REACH, and that's when I applied for the agency. Um, I knew of of REACH about a few years back when I was still in college. Okay. So it was, like, really amazing to see the work that they do. And I just, like— I knew what they were doing, but then at the time, I was already with a new internship that I was doing for school. So then I decided to just pull back another year to see when they will have an opening. And so when I saw their opening, um, I decided to take a chance on it.
0: That's so awesome. So you said you first heard about Reach Counseling while you were in school. Yeah. How did you come about that? Was it an outreach event or an internship opportunity or something?
1: Yeah, so like in school... um, my like the university that i attended is about three hours away and so when i went to my advisor um i I needed help find your internships and so um when i was looking for internships i applied for the first one i had which is the one that i did intern for and then later on i found about reach so it was pretty much through my advisor and the school
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yep. okay. that's like, wow, what a small world, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, skip forward a year later, right, you said? Yep. That's when it was, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yep. So what made you want to be a part of this kind of work? Why is it meaningful to
1: you? Yeah, so it's definitely meaningful to me because um, I definitely see that in my community, um, specifically speaking of the Asian community. It's a very sensitive topic that we don't talk much about. And, you know, I feel like this is something that should be more, like our community should be more aware of, that um, there's a lot of stigmas around this topic. And so it's a pretty taboo topic for a few families out there. And so... I wanted to kind of change that kind of yeah. bring the parents the community to be more uh open-minded about this subject like of course sensitive um and nobody wants to get through it or go through this um but then what i really think is that we should be more aware of it mm-hmm. if you, even if we don't want to talk about it and f- if and find more help yeah. so yeah.
0: yeah so you're kind of a Catalyst for change, really, in your community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you are Hmong American, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So, did when you were raised, uh, when you were younger, mm-hmm. was this something that was a taboo topic, something you didn't talk about? What was that like for you growing up? Was it, or was it something that maybe your parents were different about, or? <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, I know for a fact that my parents, they're not as Americanized, so they're still a bit more traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, they're adapting to it a little bit, but... I was gonna say, are they, um, are they happy for your job here? They yeah, yeah, my parents, way. they love my job. I, mm-hmm. I tell them on my role what I do, and um, they, they're really happy about it. Um, they don't really mind the job that I did. Or I am doing, but, um, yeah, growing up, I would say my parents didn't really talk about it with us. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we were talking about sex education at school and we come home talking with my parents about the reproductive system and stuff like that. My parents, my mom especially, she wouldn't really talk about it with us until mm-hmm. we go through it. Mm-hmm. When our time comes and we go through it, then she'll be more open about it. Mm-hmm. But then, like, in terms of, like, sexual assault or... Um, the topic that REACH focuses on. My parents, they say that because in the Hmong community, um, it's just something that the Hmong community may view it as uh, something that it's it's not good for, like reputation, family reputation, family pride. Um, sometimes that's kind of the case. And then um, it's also because they're afraid. They're afraid that if it happens to a son or a daughter, like other folks out in the community You know they just don't know how to feel about it and they don't want to view you as an individual who is of such and so for your parents to kind of protect your image and kind of protect um, you as an individual they just don't want you to talk about it except i i do believe that there are parents out there that do support their kids if they wish to report it or they do support their kids if they do need the counseling
0: So there is some kind of evolution to this -hmm. approach in your community. Yep, yep. It's it's still,
1: it's definitely evolving. Um, I would say a lot of uh, younger women out there today, they are reporting a little bit more now. Mm -hmm. um, Because, you know, I, I want to say, I think it's safe to say that a lot of, um, the younger generation, they need more help. And sometimes they don't depend on, well, we we have something called the 18 clan system. Okay. And so that's kind of um, a system that we use to get help when we have an issue that arises in the Hmong community. We will go to uh, the clan leaders and get help. Um, sometimes a lot of our more Americanized Hmong women out here today, they don't use that system anymore. They wish to just get the uh, the justice system that is served in America here now. Just go straight to just that, go straight to that yeah. and get it situated through that way.
0: The so the 18 hmm. clan system. Can you talk a little bit of, more about that? Is that male dominated, like male led, or um, are th- is there a variety of gender leading that? Or? Yeah.
1: So growing up, I'll speak from what I know. But like growing up it's more male dominated for Mm -hmm. sure yeah that's how i've seen it and throughout the past how many years now that i've been involved in the mong community that is going to mong cultural festivals participating in like and volunteering and coordinating like dance competitions in the community you know when i have dance performances and I go to like different events. I've always seen it being very male dominated, which okay. is not bad. I'm not saying that it yeah, is bad.
0: You but know, it's a, it's a really be good why thing. Someone would be apprehensive as a woman to go yes, and report yes. to yes, you know a exactly. bunch of men like yeah. you know, hey this happened. Exactly, right. and I
1: and I want to say that like our community growing up from all I know our community is very patriarchal. Right. Um. So meaning that you know like a lot of, um. Hmong women, we don't have much voices. And even when we do become very vocal about a situation, we get turned down pretty quickly. Okay. And, or okay. e- even if we get don't get turned down, um, we do like get looked down a lot. Um, you know, you could do 10 million things that are very good, but one bad thing that you do, everybody would talk about just that very bad thing.
0: They, like, focus. It's like a stain yeah. almost. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, so is yeah. that what you were talking about earlier when you said that it was, like, it brought dishonor to your family or whatever. So, like, even the fact that, like, you didn't do anything wrong, you were assaulted or whatever, not you personally, but let's yeah. yeah. <laughs> talking. You know, someone is assaulted and they report this or they go through the right um, chains of communication. Even with that, it still can be a stain on that person and their family.
1: Yep. So, because sometimes, for example, if a woman goes and get help because she's been sexually assaulted... Mm-hmm. Um, What would happen if—let's just say, for example, if she goes to the higher-ups or, like, the 18 clan leader and stuff like that, or her parents or his parents. Because sometimes what we do in the Kamal community is that if we were to tell our parents, they have a messenger who they would um, call and then get this messenger— to talk with the the perpetrators' side of the family, especially if they are Hmong. so
0: it's like almost like a mediator. Yeah, kind in of between, or a liaison, right? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah.
1: So then they would go and talk with this person. Then they would get the other family involved with what happened to their daughter. I want to say that sometimes some parents do take it very very well um, in terms of like getting help and stuff like that for their daughter or their son. Um, however, sometimes. Um, if they don't, I feel like that's where the, the individual needs the most help. They're very traumatized because right. they're like, oh, no, I don't have anybody to help me. But yeah, it, it, it just isn't the best system that we would use. Um, but if it does get good, if the parents decide to cooperate with the um, victim's parents um, or something like that, then sometimes, yes, the process would go pretty well. Or if they don't, sometimes even the victim's parents would be like, Well, what were you wearing? Right. What were you doing that made this what individual do, do that, to right, you? Yeah. Right. And if like they're they're questioning something that's very like victim blaming. Right. Right? Versus encouraging her or him to be you're gonna be okay. Like right. it's not your fault and stuff like that. But they'd be like, Well, the reason why it happened to you was because you're wearing like, for example, like a mini skirt mm. and you shouldn't. Right. Or If you knew that they were going to be like this and you don't trust this person, why are you hanging out with them at this time of the hour and stuff like that? So, like, they just have a lot of victim-blaming questions versus encouraging uh, phrases for the victim. And so that's kind of how it is. But I want to say, you know, like, especially in the Hmong community, yes, we do still need to kind of work on that a little bit. But I'm not saying it's not, you know... An evolution anymore, right? Yeah. It's it's we're definitely evolving. A lot of our um, children today, which is also why we have the prevention ed team, yeah. because once they go into the schools and they bring more awareness in education to these students, they become more aware and they're like, okay, I know what to do now. Yeah. Once they grow older, right? Like right now, it's even a whole my generation job, generation
0: that's learning differently, yeah. Than what's been passed down, yeah, in the previous
1: exactly. because yeah. like right now, like with my job, even like even if I'm not attending, like cultural events and stuff like that i'm going out in the community still meeting different kind of uw students too and some of them have shared with me that yeah i remember reach counseling when i was in like middle school and they came and wow. did like a presentation uh from reach and we learned about this so that's why we were so aware of it so How like you're just not stuck
0: with them oh like,
1: yeah just, for sure know, like, like and wow. now they're like college students um wow. all around and so it gets me. I'm so excited, like when they he- I hear stuff like that because really, like reach is making a huge difference in the school systems too, especially. And so I've heard a few of those stories, and it has made me really happy. But like that's what I'm saying. It's like just giving that education and awareness to t- students because once they grow up, they'll know. Because I think growing up, like when I was younger in my community, because we never talk about it, it's like maybe I was never aware of it that it was sexual assault either. Right. Because they're. Right. Because, you know, like, I know in the past, like, just through a personal story of mine, um, in the past I have a cousin who was sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. And, like, their parents didn't know what to do and stuff like that. And so that was just kind of something that I wish I kind of knew when I was much younger. Like, even though I wasn't there to, like you know, encourage her and stuff like that, because I was still a little kid, but I think at the time, I wish that I could have done something, and I could have knew something about it, because in the district that I grew up in, we didn't talk about any of that growing right, up. Right,
0: right, yeah, that's huge. You mentioned dance a little bit, and mm-hmm. I know that you have done some outreach using dance mm-hmm. as kind of a catalyst for reaching people. Could you talk a little bit about your experience with dance? And
1: yeah, how so... Dance has always been like a huge passion of mine since growing up. Like I was four and I was already dancing, but I was more focused in like, I guess school events. Um, we used to have something called Multicultural Arts Night. And I always, like, every year, I always look forward to that very night. Yeah. Because yo- when I was younger, I never I never was able to wear Hmong clothes to school and, like, show off, like, my beautiful Hmong clothes. But, like, I think dance really paved the way for me to do that, mm-hmm. especially with cultural events at school when yeah. I was in elementary school. Um, and then growing up, I just started to do dance competitions around the Hmong community. Um, So I've traveled around like Minnesota, California, and like Minnesota. And there was like the biggest, the three biggest states that have like, like, bigger dance competitions during the Hmong New Year's. Um, so I went to those. And then now with REACH, like before I started REACH, I um, coordinated or I am still coordinating what we call a Southeast Asian dance program at Manasha Public Library. Okay. Um, and so we are like kind of like an LGBTQ friendly, um, cultural friendly, Southeast Asian focused um Dance program. So what we do is we have a lot of the students learning about culture through dance, and so we have speakers that come in maybe once a month to talk about different topics and stuff like that for the students. So they're still talking about or they're still dancing, but then they're also getting some education in about culture and different histories
0: too. That's so yeah. Awesome. And Reach sponsored one of those, right? Yep. Recently? So Reach.
1: Yeah. Um, so before I worked here, I started that, and then when I worked here, um, I was able to get. Kristen, which is our uh, executive director, I was asking her if she would be willing to help with something around that program and stuff like that because I wanted to bring more education to the students about yeah. um, the work that I do. And I know that this is a very like sensitive topic, but I think it's also very informational and very important for a lot of our dance students because um, a lot of them are, are female, right? right? And so we just want to make sure that, you know, all our ch- our children and our students are aware of this, even if they're not learning in school. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Kristen was able to um do that, and then what what happened was, uh, we were able to get the sponsorship money, and having Reach come and do presentations, helping with that, and then we also did like volunteering work. The money that goes towards that was m- more used for snacks because we do snacks with right. the students because after oh, yeah, a, yeah, after some time, that. some mm-hmm. kids they they want to make sure they get a little rest. So That's we right. do a a few break time and then they get like snack and stuff like that. So that has really helped the students.
0: How did that go over? Like when Reach presented at that event? Was that received well? Oh, was very that?
1: well. Okay. Um, so yeah, the we only practice on Sunday. So I was really happy to have the prevention ed team come in on a Sunday. Um, and they came in to do a presentation to three different dance teams so the first team they were ages um, five to eight so five to eight and then it was very age appropriate um, a lot of the parents we've had some parents that did express that they were a little unsure if they want their child to be involved so they decide not to come mm-hmm. and then some people were kind of unsure but they still want to come so we have a variety of different parents that have different thoughts and perspectives on this very topic but Majority of the time, we had a very good turnout That's with our great. dancers, um, and we did encourage the parents to be there, um, especially if they are minors. So then the parents were there during the presentations, and after the pres- each after each presentation, a lot of the parents did express that they really, truly appreciate the topics that we were bringing into the. Uh, the program. Because not only are we talking about like just culture and like heritage and like food, like Southeast Asian food mm-hmm. and stuff, but we're also talking about like educational stuff in our community. Right. Like we're sharing events, we're sharing different kind of resources out in the community. And so like with, with REACH, this is a resource for them to be able to get help and stuff like that in the future if anything were to happen, which I really hope it doesn't, but if it does, like, they know where to go. And, yeah. Yeah. But we did have a lot of great comments and compliments about, like, the presentation itself. Like, oh, my gosh, this is such a cute animated video and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And very up- using, like, very appropriate words in the videos right. um, and right. stuff like that. And, like, every time you go to dance and stuff, even after the presentation – Every time we go to dance, we we would just ask the students like, um, "Okay, let's review. What did we learn last week? What did we learn with Miss Haley and Miss Daisy, or what did we learn with like the profession Ed team that came during the presentation?" And we have the little kids; they they remember so well. They'd be yeah. like, "Yeah, we got a shout, we got a yell, we got a run." Uh-huh. You know, they're always so good about that. So I love that. yeah, like the parents mm-hmm. are very grateful.
0: Well, and you know, something I really admire about you is that you have such an excitement. But you (laughs) also go about approaching a community that is beloved to you, that you come from, in a really respectful way, but also trying to bring them into healthy dialogue about something that in the past wasn't really approachable with maybe previous generations, and yeah. I feel like you're navigating that really beautifully. So that's, Thank you. That's not easy, and thank you for your work in that. So, it's not. Yeah. yeah,
1: definitely it's not. I mean, um, I have to be honest, sometimes I feel like a little of identity crisis yeah. during this time that I'm in this role, because sometimes... I going to ask you about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm glad. Yeah,
0: talk about that. Talk about it, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: no. Like, yeah. yeah, to be honest, sometimes I kind of feel like that, because in the Hmong community, I'm a dancer, right? right. I'm a dance choreographer. Um, sometimes um, I help being like a coordinator in different kind of like cultural events and stuff like that and then kind of when people learn about oh like what was your professional or profession and career then I would tell them about being like an Asian advocate for so-and-so and stuff like that and like almost sometimes I get like Some different kind of reactions, whether they're good or bad. I take it as is. Mm -hmm. Um, I look at the positive side. Like, like I enjoy my job. I enjoy what I do in the community. Even like when I'm working, I'm still helping the community. Like I'm still attending cultural events for reach, and that's something that I love, right? But yeah, sometimes I do feel kind of like a, a moment of identity crisis because, when I'm in my role as a sexual assault advocate, turning, to being like a dance choreographer. it makes me feel some type of way where I need to find my boundaries and my limitations. Like, when should I do this? When should I not do this? And, like, when I need to go out in the community, should I go as myself, how I was always known? Or um, should I go as, like, a reach advocate, which I never mind to do it. But it's just knowing setting my own boundaries for myself and then not like overworking myself or not thinking too much about like what I should not do and what what I should do or what I should not intertwine together with my role in the community and with my role at REACH. Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of integrity to your approach, which I admire. Thank you. You know, I, I, I wonder, how do you balance out all the work that you do and not burn out? Like, yeah, that is to... a really
1: good question. Mm-hmm. So basically, like on my daily, like work and stuff like that, I meet with my clients, um, I do my job, and I go out for my appointments and stuff like that. And then, like, literally after 4.30, if I don't have to go do, like, a police report and stuff like that, then um, I'm usually home with my little puppy. He's eight months. His Aww. name is Leo. What kind of puppy um, do you have? Shih Tzu makes Aww. teddy bear. So nice. he just turned so eight Leo. months. Yeah, so, like, he's <laughs> been keeping me on my toes, but he's also keeping me, like, very sane. Mm-hmm. So when I go, like, after maybe a pretty long day of work or something like that, Um, I would go home and once I get his little hug and his little kisses, then I'm fine. Um, I would just, you know, relax on the couch, read a little like story or documentary, watch documentaries. I love listening to like Mongo stories to podcasts and stuff like that. And that would just literally calm myself down. Um, so, yeah, just doing a lot of self-love. Like, I know in this role, like, we, our team, as advocates, we always talk about self-love. And I know Reach is huge advocates for self-love. And so, um, yeah, I kind of, like, learned to just knowing when not to kind of work on my stuff or when. Because mm-hmm. I was sometimes even when I'm working, if I need, like, a 10-minute break, I give myself a 10-minute break. 10-minute break. And, and you just, end up being
0: more productive when you do you, that, too, You I definitely find. do. Yeah.
1: I, t- I so agree with that. Yeah. Like, just giving yourself that 10-minute break. to Even taking a drink, just closing your eyes away from the screen, stuff like that. Or Which is also why I've, I so appreciate my role, too, because sometimes, like, I, if I have to be on the computer, I can't. But then, like, I love that I can go out in the community. Yeah. Um, go to, like, different places throughout the day right because I'm a person where I like to be on my feet and um I like enjoying the outdoors so Mm -hmm. then like it's really hard for me to kind of sit in the one office for a full day which I had done that in the very past like when I was still in college and I kind of knew that that wasn't like what I want to do Mm -hmm. once I graduate and so like this is like a perfect role for me to like do that like even when I'm working I'm meeting I'm doing my networking outreach and meeting like great individuals out in the community so i get like a lot of great things that come together um doing my self-love and then also like a huge shout out to sierra who is our advocacy director here at reach um she is so good with like having us flex to like even you know for example i did like a police report a few weeks ago um and it was it, our hours here is 8 30 to 4 30 for reach right mm-hmm. but like my police reporting until like 6 15. right and so um, Sierra was really good about that. She was able to, like, let me flex. And that's something I really, truly appreciate. Because even with, you know, we should be only doing 480 hours. And, like, if you are going over that or something like that, like, be able to flex. And, like, usually right. our advocacy director is, like, super
0: great at that. Yeah, that is really good. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> we want to keep people around that yeah, are, for sure. you know, quality like yourself. So let's say there's someone listening to this podcast right now. And yeah. I know within you know, Asian backgrounds, there's a lot of different cultures within that, Mm -hmm. like, you know, classification. Yeah. Uh, But let's say there's someone from one of those backgrounds Mm -hmm. who is feeling kind of that oppression or anxiety about speaking out about a sexual assault that happened to them or some kind of sexual abuse. What would you say to them? What advice would you give to them? Yeah,
1: um, I definitely feel like how I would approach them first is kind of learn who they are, right? Mm-hmm. So like, if they're not Mong, like I would like to know what kind of language they speak. If I can have an interpreter mm-hmm. to um, make them feel comfortable, be represented, building the rapport because I think that's a lot more important. Like you, I I feel like when we approach our clients and our survivors it's important that we're building rapport with them like not having to kind of pressure them right away to like speak with us about the situation so i feel like just building the rapport making sure that they trust you um and knowing that their information is very confidential with you Mm -hmm. um so yeah just building that rapport until they're comfortable to come out and like if we tell them like we are ready when you are so you don't have to tell us right now but why don't we just talk about what's your favorite pie Right. You know, so just like... letting
0: them take the lead on this. Yep,
1: let them t- take there's the no lead. no pressure to no disclose. No pressure. Or take
0: action. It's that mm-hmm. safe space. Mm-hmm. You get to know them. And if they feel comfortable at that point to disclose. Or,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yep, perhaps. because, I mean, you will have different clients that take a little while yeah. to kind of be open up to you. And then you have clients that come through the door and right away they'll be like, I want to make a police report, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so then you're like, better. okay. So then th- there's a great variety of clients that have different perspectives on, okay, like, what should I do? And it's something, some some sometimes you just really have to kind of give them that information, like, this is what we are going to do, which, you know, with REACH, our advocates, we are providing, like, personal advocacy, legal advocacy to medical advocacy, right? So that whether that's going to your stain exams with you or doing a police report with your, and kind of, like, following up with your investigation, how it's going with the police. Because sometimes our victims don't want to talk with, the officers or detectives right so re-traumatizing and so sometimes they just rather have us talk with the investigators right i think it's like building the rapport and then making sure that if they don't want to communicate in some type of way that you are that person that messenger Mm -hmm. between that party and the other party and yeah just kind of knowing what they like what they don't like and who they could be who they couldn't be right. um so that way you can give them resources about like what they could do even if reached can't provide that and we or if we don't have that capacity like that's why we have partnerships with different kind of organizations um, in the community, so that way our clients can be able to use those services in and, and good terms.
0: Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Thank you so much for the work that you do. It's really yeah. meaningful, and your journey sounds like it has just been one of a lot of growth and vulnerability, yeah. and I totally respect that. And Thank we're you. We're really lucky to have you at Reach. I know. I'm
1: so lucky to be here at Reach, too. <laughs> I always tell, I was telling Sierra um, that within my four years of college, I probably didn't learn as much as I did for four months here with Reach <laughs> Counseling. So
0: experiential learning. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so nice. hands on, yeah. which I yeah.
1: love. I'm that traditional student in school where I'm always like hands on, and I ha- I have to be in person to like really learn. Right. So yeah, that's something that I truly appreciate about Reach doing that is even if something like I don't know, then my advocates, my team to the counselors and therapists here at Reach are so approachable. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know something, you could just walk into their office as long as their door is open. You can just be like, hey, like what can you know I do or how are you doing? Or I need help with this. Can you help me? And they're always so good at it. And that's some that's a team that I've been looking for like the longest time. Yeah. So well you
0: definitely add to it. So Thanks, (laughs) I
1: know, I hope so.
0: Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. You are not alone. REACH Counseling is here to help, and we're expanding our REACH. Since 1976, we have offered our services throughout Winnebago County. We are pleased to now offer our services in Outagamie and Calumet counties as well. REACH Counseling is a sexual assault service provider for children and adults that offers culturally responsive outreach, prevention education, victim advocacy, trauma counseling, and sex offender treatment. As an anti-violence agency, we strive to heal lives and transform communities. Call our 24-7 helpline anytime at 920-722-8150. For more information, visit us at reachcounseling.com.